Bolangworld.com, the podcast for all those involved in designing, developing, and running websites on a daily basis. My name is Paul Bolang, and my name is Marcus Lillington. You have a problematic name, don't you, Marcus Lillington? There you go. Very good. I just can't help saying it silly. Perhaps I need to start saying my name Bogue, which is how everybody else in the universe pronounces it, other than my family for some bizarre reason. Oh, just any reason why they changed it? Yes, because my, my granddad was too polite. He was a Pentecostal minister that right. came, came down from Scotland and moved to London. And for some reason, everybody pronounced it Boag. Oh, he, oh, okay. At the time. And so he, he stopped correcting people because he was too nice. So it just stuck. There you go. I prefer Boag. That was a bit of a crap story, really, wasn't it? No, but I mean, it's interesting. That's a bit strong. Um, I feel like I've learned something. But it's, inter- it's good because it means that we are the only Boags in the world. Because everybody else that's called Bogue pronounce it Bogue. Yeah. So there you go. But it's more of a... Yeah. Boag. It's like bouquet instead of bucket. <laughs> What a wonderful analogy. And with that thought, let's move on. <laughs> so, we are on week two. This is the show that I've been dreading. Really? Yes. What, the, it's the difficult second album? No. <laughs> now, that's the whole season, isn't yeah, true. it? True, yes, yes. Because this is the second season. No, the, the problem... Well, it's not the second season, really, but you know what I mean. The problem that I've got with this episode is we're talking about target audience, Right. So everybody that's listening to this show is the target audience we're talking about. So as we we basically, through this show, share all the things that we want to extract from people and the way we want to manipulate you and get your your money and all that kind of stuff. So it seems a bit of a dodgy show to do. We're not after people's money. No, we're after their company's money. (laughs) (laughs) Which is fine. We're out to help people. We're we're just a bunch of hippies, aren't we? Well, Uh, Matt Carey says you're a hippie, which always makes me laugh. Yeah, every time he says it, I know. <laughs> I'm so unhippie like. Can you imagine what the guys at Clear Left would think of Matt Curry then? Yeah, quite. <laughs> the Clear Left not think that I'm um, a capitalist swine, so yes. I don't quite know how this fits in. Really, what am I? Am I a hippie or a money? I'm wearing my my um, sellout T-shirt, Krusty the Crown, selling out for for cash. But that's life, isn't it? I mean, in my local pub, I'm probably a left-wing, you know, banner waver. Uh, and yet, if I go, I don't know, to a, a, the average conference, I'm the sort of, you know, capitalist... Yeah, Jeremy uh, Clarkson-loving. So, yeah. Yeah. It depends who, what, what, uh, so, what company relative. you keep. Exactly. Anyway, what's but that yeah, got to do with we're, we're not... We're just... The, the process... That we're being honest. Is, yes, that too. Sorry. Um, oh, you were going to dress it up. It, yeah. Um, carry on no no saying we're just what we're talking about today is just defining who your your audience is yeah and I don't like the word target on there because it suggests 
I am targeting them with a with a bow and arrow. Yeah. Or a Kalashnikov. It's just your, who your audiences are, and you should be serving up your Bazooka. content to help them as mm. best you can. Exactly. But we want stuff back too. So yeah. you are. We did targeting. that last week. Yeah, I know, but it's still ca- oh, okay. So say it how you want. <laughs> to be honest, I just want to get past all this stuff and get onto the interesting stuff like the design and code, yeah, colours, because I have been and pictures. Well, actually, the stuff that is exciting me the most is things like responsive design and CSS three and that kind of thing. Because of course, I'm slightly um, ahead of our show, so this is all old news now. I'm doing really your old cool news, stuff. and it's boring. It's is that boring. What you're trying to say basically skip the show is what I'm saying. We should have done this with, as part, all part of show It was one. too much. It was too much to all fit. And once you put in, put in the but waffle. I've just summarised it now. Done. Is that it? <laughs> there you go. Actually, it's not. It's not boring. It is interesting. It's just that I've moved on from it a bit, I guess. Um, I think we make huge assumptions, don't we, about our target audience. And I'm going to use the word target audience just to annoy just you. Just to annoy me. Just to annoy you. Target, target. I think we all have feel this. targeted. Yes, you listeners. are targeted. I have, I do target them. Actually, no, it's interesting when I because no, this no. is about audience, not target audience. Because as I've looked at our audience as a whole, some of those people I wouldn't actually specifically target. So there is a difference. Some of them I would, some of them I wouldn't. Which is all about prioritization, which I guess we get onto in a minute. Yeah. So but you have this thing in your head, don't you, of who you think your target audience is. Mm. And I guess we all kind of know, but it'd be quite interesting without looking. You have, have you read the show notes yet? No. Right. So I reckon there's a difference between who I think what you have in your head of who the Boag World target audience is, is probably a subset of who really listens to it. So let's test my theory. Okay. Who's our target audience? Well, all of them. Our audience. Yeah. Who's what, what type of people? Uh, I think there are a lot of freelance Designers, yeah, out there, freelancers, yeah. Um, I think. Stop looking at the list. Okay, <laughs> he's turned the paper Satisfied over. Satisfied now? Yes, I am. Uh, I think the second. I'd say they're probably the the, the main audience. Yes. Uh, the second one would be people working in other agencies or working for uh, being the designer in a company. Yes. That kind of thing. Is yeah. that two different audiences? Uh, yeah, you could argue that. I haven't actually separated them out, um, but fair enough. That's fine. Yeah, yeah that's someone, cool. someone working in a, in a big, you know, yes. I can't think of an exa- example, but a big organisation. fish That has, well, no, the old, the old, the old, one is an agency like I work for Headscape yeah and I listen to yeah and the other one is I work for University of so and so yeah yeah in the that's in house designers I have separated them out right yeah designers slash developers I would think that they are more prevalent than than people in agencies what the in house people yeah Yeah, I think so as well okay Uh, then uh, um, students yeah, that's Definitely. a good one. Yeah, you're doing well. You're doing well. Um, and people who work in marketing departments, i.e. what we call website owners, but yep. uh, people who look after websites and yep. have, to, have to know a bit about it. Well, I've kind of differentiated between website managers, yeah. which would include those marketing people, and website owners, who are the kind of entrepreneurs that own their business. I would have thought the second audience is quite small. Yes, Definitely. Yeah. But it's still there. 
Yeah, and you could argue that they are the marketing department within their small company. Yeah, I guess well. so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, are there any other audiences? Um, You've done very well, actually. The only one that I've got which you haven't got on that list is amateur enthusiasts. People that aren't working, you know, full-time sure. as a web designer but are into mm. it. So, uh, no, do you just completely undermine my argument then? Which is that actually... I'm just really clever. That's what it is. is. When when I I found it really useful to sit down and write it down in black and white rather than just Mm. holding it in your head. Because when I sat down and actually thought about it, the list was actually a bit longer than I... Can I turn this back over now? Yes, you can. It was a bit longer than I first expected. (laughs) Um, I think as I looked at that list, I realised actually mine that it needed splitting down a bit further. So we've got freelancers, students, website managers, those that run a website for the company that employs them, website owners who um, run a website for themselves. Mm -hmm. It's two slightly different audiences there. In-house designers and developers and enthusiastic amateurs. That was my group. But I realised that when it came to... um, Website managers and owners, they needed to be kind of split down again into two additional groups, right? Okay. Those that were web literate and those that were not. So, on one hand, you have website owners who are tech entrepreneurs keen to launch the latest startup, right? And on the other hand, you have owners of bricks and mortar businesses who don't know much about the web. So, those are kind of two, that's the way the website owners split. With your website managers, you've got those that run in-house web teams, that are obviously technically literate and know about the web. Yep. Um, obviously, they're really knowledgeable compared to, say, project managers and marketeers that have been assigned for the short term to oversee the de- redevelopment of a website. And that they are normally more web literate than the man in the street, but not, not so, so much. Yeah. yeah. As, cool. Uh, as you, Paul. So the reason I split those down is because I think they have different requirements that, um, that need catering for. So I kind of split those down into four groups. Okay. So I've got my, my list now. So I've written my list down, which is really useful. My next thing is to prioritize them. This is when we do start getting to target audiences rather than just audiences. Yeah. Because you are now prioritizing, therefore, You're targeting. relating them to your business goals. Exactly. I beautifully put. <laughs> um, right. So most website owners... Um, hate prioritizing their audiences because it feels like you're setting one audience above another and you're effectively ignoring those secondary groups. And to some extent, that's kind of true. If you design for everybody, then you're effectively <clears throat> designing for nobody, yeah. right? So without prioritization, um, you're, uh, you are going to end up with a bland site that really excites nobody. So my mantra is simple, which is design for somebody and alienate nobody. What was it? The, the um, National Trust had something similar, didn't they? What was they? Oh, no, that was a completely different thing. I'm getting totally confused. <laughs> Just okay. ignore me. Okay. That was their thing Consider about yourself ignored. unity without conformity or something. Oh, yeah, that was about design. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's nothing to do with this at all. No. So we can ignore that. Um, so it, when I say design for somebody, alienate nobody, what I'm saying is you should pr- prioritize your audience and focus the site on those that are most important, how you should avoid alienating other audiences in the process. Um, so I, even if you're, well, I probably use this example cause it's a, a strong example and you tend to, one tends to repeat them, but when you, I think it was your design when we did for a particular Northern university, um, yes. 
and they said we were having this conversation with them. It's undergraduate, prospective undergraduates. They are our target target audience above all else. Yes, kind of thing. Oh, and maybe just the old postgraduate and yes, yeah. student. That's kind of thing. Um, so Paul did um, kind of amazing design that had which was awesome coffee cup stains on it. Yeah, um, teeth, teeth coloured in. Yeah, on all kinds of, of silly little things yeah. like that. Yeah, and we we tested this on uh, various um, uh, various different audience groups, including yes. postgraduates. And we had a postgraduate, a German postgrad who was I don't know, twenty six, twenty seven, who uh, almost stormed out of the room, <laughs> and you know used words like disgusting. Yes. and uh, I would never go to a, a university that represented itself in this way. So you've got to be careful. Mm. You do. Yeah. There you go. See, that's what I'm here it for. It was a good point. Yes, it, it was, was a good little, example. Little anecdotes. Little anecdotes. <laughs> you are the, the old man in the corner telling exactly. stories about the war. Yes. Um, so so how should you how should you prioritise your audience? How do you do it? Um, and prioritisation really is just about matching, as, as Marcus has already said, your audiences with your business objectives. If an audience has the potential to help you achieve a business objective, then it should be prioritised. So, with that in mind, let's look um, at how that works out in practice for Boag World by examining the benefits of each of you, dear listener, mm-hmm. who hopefully will fall into all the various audiences that we have defined. Um, and let's see what benefits, business benefits, you provide to Headscape, <laughs> right? So, this is the point where I was like, okay, this is a bit weird to do, but we're going to do it anyway. Right. So, Mr. Freelancer, why do we care about you? It, it would be really easy for us to dismiss freelancers as competition, right? However, in actual fa- fact, no, they're not, because they don't do the size of work that we do, no. right? Um, I think as well that you guys as freelancers provide three benefits to Headscape, right? First, we've been known to recruit you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So freelancers um, are a good source of, you know, recruitment, people that we can hire when we need to. And it, it's brilliant that, you know, if we need to hire someone permanently or someone even just as a short-term contract or whatever, I can go out to the Boag World community and get a response and find somebody pretty much, you know, within a day. You know, yeah. it really it's is magic. that quick. Second, freelancers sometimes pass on work to Headscape if it's too big for them. That's happened a couple of times where things have been recommended. So that's great. And finally, freelancers are some of the most passionate evangelists for the Boag World website. So our our core base really is freelancers. And they're the ones that are going out there saying how great the show is and the blog is and that kind of stuff. So that's freelancers. Yes. Web design students. I see these as a long-term investment for Headscape, right? Again, really easy to dismiss, but we've been known to recruit from this audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're also, in some situations, have gone on to be influencers in large companies once they graduate. Um, so these organizations t- sometimes end up hiring us based on their recommendation. I think that's a bit of a stretch. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen very often, but the possibility's there. So design students, long-term investment, but a fairly low priority. Sorry if you're a student. We don't care. Go and get a proper job. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, Am I on dangerous ground here, Marcus? No, no, not at all. <laughs> uh, I think it's the the issue about being evangelists for Bag World, or just, you know, that's a, such a 
a horrible phrase. Yeah, yeah. But, but it just sort of like, yeah, I I read this article and it was pretty good, so I shared it with my mate. Yeah, you know that is that applies to pretty much all of these audiences. Absolutely, and that therefore they're all useful. So let's move on. But but student <laughs> but students, you know, students have got more time to share shit and read it because yeah. they don't do anything. <laughs> Therefore, they're even more useful. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) So website managers. Website managers tend to work for larger organizations who can afford their service, uh, who can afford to pay, obviously, a website manager, but more importantly, can afford to hire Headscape. Um, So there are our primary audience. Given a choice, we will choose to work with more tech savvy of that group. But those that are non-web-based can be excellent clients too. So they are, without a doubt, the most obvious number one target audience. Uh, no, no question. Yeah. So website owners. Where adequate funding is in place, this can be a lucrative group for Headscape um, and so needs nurturing. However, I don't think they're really that bigger group i think there are very few that can support the five-figure project values that we tend to work on they also tend to be difficult clients that's them dismissed then i was trying to be a bit more diplomatic than that Uh, (laughs) hey ho we're we're gonna work for a tech startup again thank you we we have never worked for a tech startup full stop oh no we haven't have we have we i'm just trying to think no no, they often fizzle out, don't they, really, yeah. before they ever become anything. So, I mean, I can go into the reasons why that's the case, but it's not really what we're talking about today. But it tend, they tend to be just by, if you are the kind of person who wants to, to, wants to make a startup, yeah. A, because it's a startup, you have your, you know, your, your finger in many different pies. Yeah. Uh, because you have to. Yeah. And your website's part of that. Yeah. So you want to micromanage it. Yeah. And you want to get fussy about the money you're spending. Yeah. It's probably somebody else's money. Yeah. Um, they are not the easiest projects usually. Right. Compared to, uh, and you know, like the, if we're working with a website manager or yeah, some, somebody who works in the marketing department of a large organisation, this will be the the eighth web project they've got on the go. Yeah, and they're professionals in making it happen as yeah. as best they possibly can. So they're just an easier client from that point of view. It's yeah, not, and also it's not so much their baby. Absolutely, yes, I agree. So I didn't mean that in a kind of derogatory way. It's just the way it is. Yeah, yeah, but they are still. A fairly high up audience. Fairly. Fairly. Yes, I agree. Now, what's higher up still, I think, than it's kind of between website manager and website owner would sit in-house designers and developers. Absolutely. Because these are a major target audience for us. And actually, almost more so than... I was torn when I was prioritizing them as well, whether to put them even above website managers. Mm. Um, but I think, realistically, probably website managers are slightly more influential. But... In-house designers and developers um, are, are great because, they, well, for a start, because the company is able to employ a web team, which includes in-house designers and developers, they tend to be organizations that can afford our services. Um, and although they, do, um, they don't always, you know, hire, ex- you know, these people aren't responsible for hiring external agencies themselves, they do influence 
um, who is hired. Yeah. And they do recommend us regularly. And I think a lot of web, web, um, internal web teams get a bit pissed off, basically, that, that work is outsourced to, to agencies. Mm. You know, whoa, why don't we do that self? You know, we're always left with the crappy work and all the cool stuff goes out to the agencies. But if they're kind of forced into that position, which they often are by management or just constraints of time or whatever else, they want to work with an agency they like and an agency they know, so they tend to push quite hard for Headscape. So they're a really valuable group to us. Quite often, that person is also the website manager. They're certainly... I've kind of separated them out. But they sometimes are the same yes, person. Yes, they can be the same person. Absolutely. Um, so yeah they're a great audience we like them a lot mm-hmm. um, and then that leaves us with the amateur enthusiast and although they're not really a potential source of revenue for Headscape the audience does enthusiastically support Boag World they are a strong Absolutely. source of volunteers and they promote the site far and wide so we love them too so it's really interesting that when I sat down and looked at our audiences they all had value um, and I think it's really easy to dismiss an audience as not valuable but you can see from, from the list we've just gone through that, you know, when it comes to, to your website, you know, most people can offer something back. And so, yes, it's good. Very interesting. So that said, it's still necessary to prioritize our set based on our primary business objectives, which is to generate work from Headscape, as we covered in the last show. So here's the list I've got. Website owners, uh, sorry, website managers, number one, followed by in-house designers and developers followed by website owners, freelancers, students, and amateurs. Yep, fine. Happy with that list? Yep. Right, that's good. We've got Marcus's seal of approval, which is always good. (laughs) So, let me be clear. The site should still cater for all of the above audiences. However, we're going to focus on the top two or three in particular. So, you may be wondering why I uh, placed... Um, in-house designers and developers by website owners, but we've kind of, I guess we've already we've covered, covered that, that yeah. haven't we? We have covered that, so I can skip that bit. So we know what, who our target audiences are. We know what benefits they bring. We know what order they're in. The next thing we need to establish is what they want from the site rather than what we want from them. So it's the kind of flip side of the coin now. Yes. So even though it's this is my best guess, to be honest, and we'll we'll cover that in a bit more detail later, I feel like I've got an approximate idea of what users want from the website. The interesting is the people listening to this, who are the users, Do whether they would back. agree. Yeah. And yes, we'll yeah, definitely let us know in the comments, etc. So we're going to take a few moments to look at each of the key audiences and establish the kind of thing that they want from the website. As far as I've kind of worked out, we've got our tech savvy website managers want latest news, expert opinion, latest best practice information, maybe on Headscape and selecting a web design agency. So that's what I've got for the tech savvy web um, website manager. The non-tech savvy website manager wants answers to a specific question, an introduction to best practice and information on selecting a web design agency. In-house designers and developers want latest news, best practice, expert opinion and a sense of community because they often feel quite isolated in their little team um, within their organization. In some cases, they're the only person in the web in their organization. Tech-savvy website owners want latest news, best practice, and expert opinion. Um, Freelancers um, want latest news, best practice, expert opinion, and again, a sense of community because they work in isolation. Yep. 
web design students want latest news, an introduction to best practice, feedback on a specific issue, and a sense of belonging to the web community. Um, and the amateur enthusiast, exactly the same thing, really, as the student. So what's interesting when I wrote that list, so target audience is what they want to achieve, is that despite the range of people the different and the differences in their backgrounds and all the rest of it, the list of things that they wanted to achieve was relatively limited. This is interesting because it raises um, quite a, a, an interesting area that's, that's coming up recently and I'm, I'm hearing more about, which is how much value personas really provide. Okay, Mm. if you wrote personas for each of these, they would be quite different people. Yeah. But the, the, the things they actually want to achieve from the website is relatively limited. So how much um, value do personas really have? And for a while, you know, the web design community, myself included, have been putting considerable emphasis on personas as the way to design for users needs. And I, I do think personas have their place. Being able to picture what a user looks like and understand a little bit of their background can be very beneficial in writing or designing for them. However, personas are often produced at the expense of really understanding what a user is wanting to achieve, right? Spend so much time talking about their demographics and not a lot about what they actually want to do on the website. There is, a, there is too much of that. Yeah. Particularly when we, we first started doing personas, that's exactly what we concentrated yeah. on. And sometimes didn't even go into use cases. And yeah. Like that. And then, but it's become completely up the other way. Yeah. Lately. I mean, because I'm the only person working on the website, I decided that value of producing personas was fairly minimal, right? Because personas are useful when you want to get everybody on the same page, thinking about the same kind of person, that kind of stuff. So it didn't seem a lot of point from my point of view. I talk and work with my, um, with my target audience on a daily basis. Um, and it's easy for me to picture a, a real website manager real person that i actually know or a real freelancer that fits the bill i don't really need an artificial persona what is more interesting for me is what these people want to achieve on the site what are their goals their activities and tasks and i've been recently reading a book by a guy called joshua porter um uh, and his book's called Designing for the Social Web, and it's a brilliant book. Um, and he introduced me to the idea of goals, activities, and tasks, or looking at it in that way. I kind of knew about the idea, but he, he articulated yeah. it quite interestingly. He writes, It is helpful to distinguish between goals, activities, and tasks. Goals are the end condition that people are striving for. Activities are a set of tasks people do to achieve their goals. Many times we focus too much on tasks instead of the larger activity. Instead of focusing on the task of purchasing goods, it's more beneficial to design um, purpose uh, to focus on the activity of shopping um, as it better describes what people are really doing. And so I had all these kinds of questions in my head about goals, activities and tasks. So I uh, and about how I can apply that to Boag World. So I thought the best thing that I can do um, is use the, the guise of a podcast as an excuse to ring up Joshua and pick his brain about how I can apply this to Boag World. So that's what I've done. I've got, um, I gave uh, Joshua a ring and I recorded the call. So here is the call with Joshua. Hey, Paul. Hey, Joshua. How are you? Good, good. 
Thank Thanks. You. How are you? Yeah, very, very good. Thank you so much for for letting me pick your brain. It's always useful to get someone else's opinion. Uh, yeah, of course. My, my pleasure. Thanks for thanks for having me. <laughs> right. Okay. So, um, as you know, as I explained via email, I'm in the process of redesigning Boag World, um, and I I want to, and I'm I'm kind of doing it as as part of the podcast. So, it's acting like a case study as I work my way through. So, I'm having to do things properly, like a grown up, which is not the way you normally do things with your own personal blog, do you? You kind of just throw it together. Well, at least I have in the past. Yeah, yeah. And in, in, if truth be known, the uh, the design process is is pretty messy anyway. Yeah, exactly. We don't like to admit it, but it's true, isn't it? So, so so far, I've kind of I've looked at my business objectives. You know, why do I have Boagua? What's the point of that website? And now I'm kind of at the stage where I'm thinking um, about my target audiences and people like, uh, and you know, who it is that's using the site and what they're wanting to get out of it. Now, it so happened that as I was going through that process, I was reading your book, um, Designing for the Social Web, which I know isn't really about kind of blogs or content-driven websites. It's about web applications. Yep. But I got really quite excited about this thing that you talk about where you talk about goals activities and tasks in your book mm-hmm. um just can you explain it a little bit more of what you were driving at there um just sure. so i can get my head around it sure yeah well um we you you bring up that the, the, the book is in part about uh designing web applications which um as as I kind of found out in the writing process, may or may not be about designing social web applications. There's actually kind of two two threads in the book. Um, one is kind of the social aspects of design, which was the original goal of the book. But when I got into writing about it um, and doing, and at the time I was doing client work, I, I, I really was kind of focusing on web applications and there's a whole there's kind of a whole category of design problems that any web application has whether they be social or not yeah and so that led me thinking through those problems thinking about those problems with clients um, I came kind of onto you know, you know this this framework um, of which that that goals activities and tasks is a part and the the thinking was um, was the result of trying to attack a specific problem, and, and the problem was that um, I'd been working with with a whole bunch of clients trying to figure out how to design products that people will use. Right, mm. so engagement and ongoing use is is the biggest problem uh, in in web design right now. Mm, absolutely. Just because there's so many, there's so many options, right? And yeah. And there's so many products, and so breaking that down and thinking about um, kind of all the issues that designers deal with. What, well, there's like, okay, what should be on a page? Um, what what should be? Uh, what should the designer be thinking about? And, and kind of how can they break up their thinking so that it's it's clear what they should add as features and what they shouldn't add as features. Mm-hmm. And um, so the so w- one of the things that really kind of drove 
the way that I had been working at the time and still work and, and had written into the book was this, this notion of an activity, a human activity, and thinking about all the, the successful software um, in general, so all the successful software that we use uh, on a daily basis and the successful projects I've been working on, it really came back to this notion of activity that good software models a specific activity, one activity really well. Sure. Um, and, you know, if you talk to designers, most of them have this notion of do one thing and do it well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's examples like Dropbox, uh, Evernote, Skype, WordPress, like all the stuff that I see open on my screen. Um, it, it's it's easy for me anyway, and I hope for others, to think about those pieces of software in terms of an activity, a single activity. And the other, so, so thinking of the activity is, as the starting point, it really answers the question, what are we designing? Well, we're designing software to support a specific activity. Yeah. So when you break that down further um, and you kind of look at all the other things that user experience folks do, um, user experience folks slash designers, I don't make a big distinction between all that, but um, you you also see that um, we have this notion of goals, right? So goals are not activities. Goals are the ultimate thing that the user wants to do. Activities are the set of tasks that they do to get there. So, ah, for example, okay. so, so for example, um, if I want to enjoy the outdoors and, and get some relax, re- relaxing time in the outdoors, I'll go do the activity of camping. Right, I don't, I don't know what they call it in the UK, but yeah, no, that's uh, thing. Yeah, so I'll go do the activity of camping, and then w- when you think about camping, now all of a sudden you have a whole bunch of tasks that you do. You you set up a tent, um, you build a fire, you eat, you you know, um, you put your food in a bear bag so that the bears won't take it. You know, th- there's a whole bunch of different tasks, and all of them make up the activity of camping. Yeah, and, okay, but, but camping. While it's while it's what the what a human wants to do at the end of the day, it's not the ultimate goal, um, which is to enjoy the outdoors, mm-hmm. you know, to to relax that sort of thing. So, um, looking at kind of web design projects from that standpoint, um, people have goals, and um, and they they usually know, they often know what activities they need to undertake to get there. And so, so for me, activity becomes this central kind of organizing concept that everything else is based on. Um, and, and I should mention that there's been um, some interesting articles over the last couple of years um, that kind of feed into the same idea. And one of my, one of my frustrations has been that, as we've, as the kind of term experience or user experience has has become extremely popular. In fact, I was just at I was just at a, giving a talk yesterday on a on a panel um, with other SaaS companies. Everyone understands user experience now. Like, mm. like that's great. And and, and uh, I think Andy Budd wrote it wrote a piece about this the other day too. And so that's great, but it's it's too easy to stay at the high concept of experience. Like we, we know, we, we know we want to give everyone a great experience. Right. And we know, we know people want to be delighted and we know that 
people want to have fun and we can use gaming principles and you know it's easy to stay at that high level but at some point we have to ask um we want we have to ask well a great experience doing what yeah you know like we have to get to the activity right and the answer is an activity that's what we're giving people a great experience in um See, it's so, interesting sorry yeah. carry on i was just going to say so so that's why the activity um, is the organizing principle for me and, mm. and how it relates to both goals and tasks. Mm. See, as I read it, it actually struck me, well, that doesn't just apply to web applications. That applies to any website that users go in with specific activities in mind, specific goals that they want to reach and specific tasks yep. to, to achieve those. So yep. as I was, I was looking at Biag World, I was thinking, you know, a, a goal that every web designer has is this desire to stay up to date and to stay informed. So they, absolutely. So absolutely. as they come to Boag World, their activity is to read about the latest innovations in web designs and the tasks involved in that are reading blog posts, bookmarking stuff, you know, following links that I've recommended to other sites or following us on Twitter or whatever else. Yep. So, so th- the principle did seem to apply outside of web apps. And I was wondering whether that made sense to you or whether I'm trying to stretch this too far? No, um, no, that's, that's a good question. Uh, uh, I think it does apply. Um, however, um, I, I've always been, um, no, so, so, so I think it does apply. My, my only concern with, with kind of content related sites is that, um, I feel like I, I've been on projects before where, there's been too heavy a focus on content. Yeah. And, and by that, I mean, um, we, we, I think we have the tendency to create content such that we have a wonderful library of content. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want to be, we want to complete the set, so to speak. We, <laughs> we want to be, we want to be thorough and we want to have it, have all those pieces together. Um, but for me, content is merely, something that people do to complete an activity. And yeah. so it, it, it's, it's something people consume, to, to use a horrible word, um, but, but it's something that people need and use. Um, and, and, this, and this gets into, I think, a lot of the way we talk about the web these days, right? Some people say users only scan, right? They, they, they don't read, which I, I disagree with, but it makes sense from a, um, from a content kind of search standpoint, information foraging, or however you, however you want to talk about it, we scan for the content that we need to complete the task, and then we move on. You know, I, um, um, but with content in, in, in your type of site where, where we want to stay up with the latest, we're doing a different activity than, than um, necessarily than completing a task, right? So it's like staying up with the news is this fundamental, fundamentally different activity than getting something done you know like yeah it's the oh you know it's the turn on your ipad on sunday morning and and go through flipboard and see what's new yeah. right like you, you you're not you're not trying to answer a specific question there you're not trying to complete a task that helps you in your work you're, you're saying i'm kind of i'm, I'm in a passive mode now i want to read and just enjoy and relax um but to your point, I think there's some of both of that in, in a blog like yours in, on, on, on what you're doing on your site. So it's, it's, 
it's a little more it's a little more murky from a you know from an activity standpoint i think yeah yeah absolutely but i mean yeah you're right there are some more passive things like keeping up to date and then there's more active things like getting an answer to a specific question that that somebody might have if they're stuck on a particular problem or whatever you know so yeah you're right it's a kind of mixture of different things rather than that uh, an application which is is much more active um -hmm. it's quite interesting you know I, I, I think you mentioned this in the book, you know, it gets a bit woolly in your head, but um, as you kind of try and remember what you've read, where and when. But how do you think that this all affects personas? Was it you that, that talked about how the idea of personas isn't so important as the, the goals, activities and tasks? You know, do you, do you think uh, or am I am I hearing that? Or am I getting confused? Uh, no, no, I I um. I have a love-hate relationship with personas. Right. Um, I, I wrote um, I wrote a blog post a while back that pissed a, a lot of people off um, about um, kind of how personas were essentially um, distanced designers. Um, they, they tended to distance designer be- designer because um, once you have a persona, you just kind of it, I've, I had seen that it takes the pressure off designers for doing more research, right? It's like, well, I know what I need to know because yeah. I have this persona. And um, so I talked about the value of designing for yourself and like kind of um, how so many of the successful designs out there are people designing for themselves. Mm. And um, but, but, but since then, I mean, I, I've seen the power of personas to, um, to help entire companies come together on the same footing. Right. So, yeah. so I think, I think as a communication artifact, they're really valuable. Um, and, and I, I admit that, that I, I've had more experience with, with that since I wrote the piece. Um, and, and my, my opinion has changed on that. Um, but I will say that I, I also think after seeing a lot of personas that um, there's a tendency to, to, to not focus on behavior, to not focus on the activity mm. that we're designing for, um, and to focus too much on demographic information. Yeah. You know, and, and I, think, I think in general we're seeing a shift toward more real behavior-based personas and real kind of activity-based, you know, uh, Kim Goodwin, who has written extensively about personas and is is one of the leading experts on them, you know, is now she's talking a lot about scenarios and mm. and really talking more um, along the lines of what I feel is a is appropriate when you're talking about what are your users doing, right? Mm. It's not it's not who your users are; it's what are they doing. That's yeah. to me, that's the big key. And mm-hmm. so um, I've become. Uh, much, much less argumentative about personas. My my only concern is, you know, that they're really focused on what people are doing or trying to do. Mm. I mean, that was the kind of big decision I had to make with this is that, you know, I I, I think often when we, we work with clients, we do put personas in place and we do them as a, as you say, as a communication tool. Um, And also if the persona, you know, if the persona is radically different from somebody, the designer regularly interacts with and knows well, then I think it helps the designer in terms of brand and look and feel and that kind of stuff. But 
as I kind of sat down to do Boag World and I, I wrote out the list of target audiences for it, I thought, you know, A, I'm the only person working on this project, so communication is not an issue. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately, I'd love there to be other people. Um, but B, all of these people that I've written down, I, you know, I meet every day. I know who they are. I can picture individuals that you know real people that fulfill each of these these different groups yep. so personas seemed a little bit pointless and as you say it, in my mind probably because i was reading your book at the time it it became more about what they wanted to do and achieve on the site rather than you know what they look like and and you know how old they are and and whether they have kids and that kind of stuff right right <laughs> you know which didn't seem particularly relevant you know in in what i was doing with the site so yeah i it's, it's nice to hear you talk like that and kind of back up that kind of way of thinking i think uh, yeah i mean the, the thing that i found is so so in the last uh year and a half or so i've been working um on a on a startup uh called performable and we're we're building software for for marketers right and the, the thing that's really struck me um because i because i never really worked with marketers before um, I had mostly worked with like CEOs or product people, mm-hmm. um, especially when I when I was consulting. Um, but now working with marketers, what, what's really struck me is that markets are based around what people do. Mm. It's it, demographics are are horrible indicators about what people actually do. I mean, you know, I deal with someone one day who's, you know, a, a woman who's a, she, she's twenty one years old. She's like directly out of college she is um you know an amazing social media marketer amazing connections with people you know like that sort of things she has the same exact problems as the 64 year old male grandfather who is doing marketing for his company right Mm. like they're trying to do the same thing and so they have the same hurdles that you know they're trying to to measure which uh, marketing channels work best. They're trying to figure out if Twitter is a better place to post than Facebook. They're, they're, they're trying to figure out um, where to spend you know, their, their marketing money or where to place ads, that sort of thing. So from a software standpoint, looking at the activity makes, makes all the sense for that because mm. if, if I can say to a marketer, um, you know, I can help you um, figure out where to spend your marketing money. You know, demographics fall away, age age falls away. You know, computer experience falls away. Like all those things don't matter. They will say, "Thank you, that's what I need." Yeah, right. Be- because I've, I we, we've solved that activity, and and you know, we kind of after after you kind of solve for an activity, the question comes up. Well, you know, if you just solve for the activity and you only focus on the activity, then, you know, you'll never be able to innovate because you won't, you won't be thinking of the real, like, kind of the, the, the bigger goal, right? The, the, their bigger goal as a human being. And my response to that is um, maybe in the short term we won't, but once you have people using software, you will be able to innovate because it will tell you what they yeah, need. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like... That's the key is that without people actively using something, it doesn't matter what you're dreaming up. Yeah. You know, like you could dream up 
anything. You could dream up, you know, if, if you're, you could, you could tackle amazingly large goals like world peace or something. <laughs> but if people aren't using your software, it doesn't matter, you know? Mm. And so, so my kind of more pragmatic view and, and I've been writing about this on like 52 weeks in UX and stuff. It's like solve an existing problem. Like just, mm-hmm. just focus on that. And once you do that, you'll have enough interaction with people who are using your software that then you can start, then you can start innovating and kind of dreaming for the next step and stuff like that. I, and I mean, that's, that applies, I think, not just to, to software. I think it applies to any website as well. I mean, you know, yep. certainly my experience of Boag World is, is people have been incredibly forthcoming about stuff that they'd like to see me write about or, you know, certain functionality they want to see on the site. Or, I mean, yep. for example, the fact that we have a forum attached to the site was entirely driven by user demand, not because yep. I one day got up and said, you know, I think I'm going to put a forum on our website, <laughs> you know, because to be quite frank, I could I could do with, you know, not having to deal with that hassle and the work associated with setting up a forum. But there was a demand for it. So we, yep. we did it. And yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that's a really good way of looking at it. Brilliant. That, that's been so helpful, um, uh, Joshua. That's really helped me to kind of focus where I'm going and the direction I'm going. So I really appreciate your time. And I may I may come back to you and pick your brains again if I if I need to if that's all right. Sure. Yeah. I um, I, I love doing podcasts and, and love speaking to uh, you know you folks in the UK. I don't get over there uh, too often, so so it's always a, always a pleasure. We need to fix that soon and get you over here. <laughs> it's a lovely place, much it, better it than is. that, that it, big United States of what you may call it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. I was I was over for. Um, UX London, but I stayed for like a two days, Ooh. a day and a half, and I had to fly out immediately. So that was that was that was really bittersweet. Yeah, absolutely. Oh well, hopefully we'll hook up with you soon. Good to talk to you. Yeah, thanks, thanks for your time. Bye bye. So it was a really useful conversation, as you heard, and um, it went on a bit longer than I expected, but it was worth it. I managed to get a load out of him, and he helped clarify a lot of points to me. I mean, the interesting one, as he pointed out, was that that really, when he designed this, his thinking was very much for web applications and yeah. not for blogs. But I think mm-hmm. it actually works really well for blogs as well. So I went away from that phone call, and I produced my, my list um, of goals, activities, and tasks. So um, our, my goals, well, let's go through each one. Goal be up to date activity read about the latest innovations in web design and tasks with things like read a blog post bookmark it f- um uh, follow links follow people uh, follow somebody on twitter sure all right um get an answer to a specific question um ask questions and get answered is the activity mm. there post a question to the forum post a comment send an email to me send me a tweet whatever else all right hire a web design agency um, turned into research into Headscape or general generally into hiring a web uh, web agency, and then the tasks were read blog posts, read about me and Headscape, visit the Headscape website, and complete a, a work request form. Okay. Mm-hmm. Goal of becoming proficient in the basics of web design um, turns into activities about reading introductory material on web design. And the tasks are uh, read beginner's blog posts on Boag World, follow links to external material for newbies, um, post and read content from the forum. And then finally, the last goal was gain um, a network of web design related contacts and the activity is participate in community activities. 
The task is sign up for a live webcast, post to the forum, post comments on a blog, follow me on Twitter, join the Facebook page, etc. So that's how it kind of broke down. What do you think? Um, it seems like that there are... Not that I'm disagreeing with the goals, it's just like some of these are new to what we were talking about earlier. Mm. Like... Uh, is, I wonder that gaining a network of web design-related contacts, I guess that is a freelancer's something that they're, yes. they're certainly... and students yeah, and yeah. amateur enthusiasts. Yeah, yeah. This that list that's there of goals is exactly the same as the list I read through a minute ago when I talked about. I must have been having a little sleep. You were having a little sleep at that point. Okay. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, I found it a really ex- um, valuable exercise, um, and I, I, you know, if other people try it out too, I think they will as well. Focusing on these kind of three levels gave context to the um, the specific individual tasks that users were trying to complete. You, you get so hung up on functionality on the website of, okay, so people need to be you know able to follow me on Twitter or post a question to the forum that you forget the, the context within which that piece of functionality exists. You know, that people want to post a question on the forum because they want to get answers to a specific question. You know, mm. I know it sounds dumb, but it kind of... It, it does help or that people participate in the forum not just to ask questions and answers but to feel a sense of belonging to to the community and all of those things are really important to understand it also threw into stark contrast the difference between what i wanted users to do my calls to action and what users wanted to do and and it it became apparent that really the website is about an exchange right I meet their needs and hopefully they'll respond in kind. Yeah. It's not that any of you as the listeners to this podcast that, you know, come to Biag World going, what I want to do is win work for Headscape. <laughs> you know, that's not your objective. But hopefully, if I provide enough value to you, you in return will occasionally recommend Headscape. And that's an exchange. It's something that Gary Vanderchuk talks about in his book, The Thank You Economy. Um, and I find it a really interesting area. And I think this is a lesson we all need to learn as website owners. If we want um, something from our users, we need to give generously to them. And I think too few website owners do this. The number of times where people are demanding demographic information or email addresses or, or all of these kinds of things without giving anything in return just shows that, that we have this very selfish attitude and that actually we need to give unconditionally. And if we get something back, that's great. That's kind of my attitude. And this going through this exercise really drove, drove that point home to me. If you could, uh, of course, you could argue that I'm just guessing uh, at these tasks. You know, I don't actually know that's what the target audience wants. I haven't tested anything. So surely, you know, that can't be right. I should have tested this stuff. And of course you are right. It's not good practice to just guess at what your target audience wants. You need to know, um, you know, what they are, what they're, they're doing, um, you know, what they really want. You need to be sure of that to build your entire website based on that premise. You know, you're testing it on me and I've got to comment. Right. What's your comment? Um, the, uh, basically going back to the list of what people want. Yes. Um, an introduction to best practice for non-technical website managers. Yes. Um, I mean, I think that applies to even technical ones, but it, obviously the, yeah. the the list is shorter. 
And get, so that kind of fits in with getting an answer, getting an answer to a specific question. Yeah. I think, though that's important, yeah. I think a lot of people, uh, you know, when we talk to people who we now work with, it was stuff that they hadn't thought about. Yeah. Rather than a specific question. Yeah. So it's kind of, a, I know that kind of, it's advice, but it's actually more specific than that. It's, that would be, uh, for me, that kind of is covered by being up to date. The goal yeah. of being up to date. But yeah, I see what you mean. And of course, I'm not saying every user has wants to do all of these things all the time. It's almost, and if you're going even on the specific question thing, you're, you're saying that the task is post a question to the forum. Okay, fair enough. But maybe post a comment again. I suppose it depends on if the question is relevant to a particular blog post. What I suppose is what I'm coming to. What is, should be in that list, which isn't, is um, <clears throat> where they, they, in effect, they ask the question in Google and they end up on our site. Mm. That's that should be reflected, I guess, in some it way. It comes back to to effective search on the site. Yes, really. Yeah, because it's all about the the blog posts. Absolutely, absolutely. And finding the right. And that's really interesting because you, I mean, you you've seen a sneak peek of the design this morning. Yeah. And what is front and center? What have I made really obvious and really you know big in the menu bar is the search facility. What have I done from a technology point of view? I've upgraded the search facility so it's much better than the WordPress's default. Yeah. So actually, yes, hundred percent agree with that. But I'm not testing it on you because you're not the target audience. No, no, you are testing on me now. In this, we're having a conversation. Yeah, that's yeah. not a test, mine. That no. doesn't replace. I mean, that that's really dangerous. That's how literal, you want. That's to get. very dangerous. What you've just suggested there. You're suggesting that basically people can just discuss it internally within their organisation, and that's fine. Absolutely fine. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's where I'm coming from today. That's my one. If you want to take one thing away from the show, that's it. <laughs> uh, yeah, you need to test with your real users. Um, I'm spending a whole day tomorrow testing with real users. Are you? Yes. What kind of... uh, Yeah, but you're talking about usability testing, are you? Design and usability. Yeah. But this is kind of before all of that, isn't it? This is more... What I'm thinking about here is things like the stakeholder interviews you do. Yeah. I'm not doing that. And, you know, user testing is a part of it as well, and focus groups and that kind of stuff, I guess. But that obviously depends on budget and timescales and all the rest of it. I have zero budget for this project. I have my time. That's mm-hmm. it. Um, so I'm going to go for a more direct approach. And just go for it. No. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm going to follow through. But this is my direct approach. If you are listening to this, you are my target audience. <laughs> so tell me, do you fall into one of the audience categories we talked about today? If not, who are you and what do you want from the site? Is there something you want from baragworld.com that I failed to mention? If so, I want to know. So get over to baragworld.com, go to these show notes for episode two of season two, and post in the comments who you are and what you do and what you want from the site. And that is going to be my user research. That's fine. I think that's, that's good. More that's than some people really do. It's actually yeah, yeah. fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. I th- I'm just having this thought about it's about the good best practice. I think there should, and this is kind of slightly, it's a bit, a bit of a tangent. But I, I think, tried to wrap up the show nicely then, uh, really, I with know, a call but to I'm action. Still to going off on one. Um, Always end with a call to action. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think there needs to be a way of not just search because there's, there's that. Sorry, I'm, I'm just repeating myself again, but there is that sort of assumption that people know what they're looking for. Yes. We need to think of a way. I've got you. I'm there. 
You're, what yeah. you're basically saying is, is you, yeah, think of a way of putting in front of people stuff they need to know. Yes. Right. I'm doing that in three ways. Is okay. that enough? It might be too many. Might be too many. <laughs> Way number one is now the the homepage of, of Boag World, my thinking with the homepage, I mean, this is totally jumping ahead in the show, what we'll be discussing in the future. But I've changed the, the homepage of Boag World, so now the, the featured post that's on the homepage isn't always the first, the latest post. It could be any post. So sure. I, can, I can tick something in the back end. Yep. So I can highlight key things there and keep them there for as long as I want. That's number one. Number two... Um, things like no search results pages and the home page and various strategic places throughout the site will have popular posts yeah. on them, which will highlight various posts as well. Yeah, that's good. Which is good. And number three is at the end of any post that you have read, you will find related posts of other stuff vaguely related to that subject that maybe takes you in a different direction you hadn't thought about going. Does that cover it? Yes, and so maybe maybe <laughs> why the hesitancy? Maybe there's. A I way. thought that was a damn good answer. It's great. It is, you just don't want to admit that I'm ahead of you. I've already thought about it. I'm it's a genius. more of a, a kind of filtering by topic type thing. I was, I guess, is where I was going. But that's back to the category listings. Yeah, but you need to go in. I think it was its placement on the homepage that wasn't working for me. As a user, you need to go right. I'm now going to search uh, for particular categories. Uh, but the relevant, the related post kind of does it. So, yeah, it does. And also, don't forget, next to any post, you always have the category that that post is within. Mm. So if you're looking, if you your eye is caught by a headline that says, you know, 10 reasons why um, uh, fireworks is better than Photoshop, and it's in a design category, sure. you might go, oh, I wonder what else they've got on design. Absolutely. That's the kind of logic. Cool. All right. Happy? Yes. So you've ruined my call to action at the end. Yeah, no one can remember what it was. The call to action was, I need to know whether (laughs) I'm right about my target audience or not. And do all the work for me, please, by going to Boag World and posting in the comments. Quite right. This is called crowdsourcing. Sounds cool. If you call it crowdsourcing, that's okay. That's what all the cool kids do. I'm crowdsourcing this design. And we're going to do the design in exactly the same Mm. way. (laughs) 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 Actually, Mark Bolton did a really interesting... You know that he worked on the Drupal website. Yes. And um, he, because Drupal's an open source community and everybody contributes, he did design design by, not committee, but design by community. Mm. And actually, it works better than design by committee. Believe it or not, when you get to a certain scale, he says, he's not saying it's easy, but... Any one individual voice is drowned out, so it becomes about statistics and trends sure. of comments yeah, rather yeah. than, you know, I don't like the green. So I, I can kind of see how that works. Yeah. But, but I'm, And I am kind of doing that. If anybody that's following me on Twitter will see that I'm posting bits and pieces of the design. But that's true. Yeah. Everybody's too nice. Needs to be shown. Yeah, most people are far oh, too nice. I find that surprising. I know. <laughs> it's weird. My community is all... But it's, there is a bit of that. We'll talk about that when we get on to design, because okay. it's quite interesting, that subject. Anyway. Cool. So, do we have a joke to wrap up with? Yeah, slightly iffy, but we hey, were going to go for it anyway. We were going to put... In season one, we hid the jokes, didn't we, after the after the titles, but we forgot to do that last time, so yeah. we might as well just include them now. I think so. Is this that, is an iffy I do one. Not, uh, not that iffy. It's an iffy one, and we're going to include it in the show. No, it's not that iffy. See, this is where, this is where you get us into all kinds of trouble. No. But it's another one from Trevor Cleaver, so we can oh. blame Trevor. 
Trevor's fault. Here we go. You are responsible for what comes out of your own mouth, Marcus. Nope, I'm not. Not all this. Um, no, it's, it's all right. Um, I had a mate who was suicidal. There you go. That's that's the dodgy bit. Oh, it's always always good to joke about suicide. Yeah. So I pushed him in front of a train. He was chuffed to bits. <laughs> there you go. It's a little bit. Yeah. It's always it's not always, very PC, but always, always heading on an up. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Can we go now? I think we better. So we're back again in two weeks' time when we will be discussing mood boards, which for some reason I thought we were discussing this week, but there you go. Bye. 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 Those of